30 more seconds of praising you. Come on, don't stop. Listen, some of you right now, you are in for the fight of your life. Some of you right now, under the sound of my voice, you're in the fight of your life. But can I just give you some good news? The fight is fixed. The fight is fixed because the victory already belongs to Jesus. All you got to do is just show up and be ready to claim the victory. Come on. Come on. The fight is fixed. I know what you're up against. I know you're in for the fight of your life. But can I just tell you the fight is fixed. He already won when he hung on the cross. Come on. Just give him some praise. Come on. Don't stop now. Guess what? You win. You win. Come on, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. If you believe the victory is yours, come on, don't stop. God, we thank you. Let's pray, God, we thank you so much that when Jesus hung on an old rugged cross thousands of years ago, he went down into the depths of hell and he came down and snatched death and snatched depression and snatched the issues that we have in our life and he snatched the consequences of sin and when he rose on the third day he rose in his words with all power in his hands that means no matter what fight I'm up against in my life the fight is fixed it doesn't matter what it looks like it doesn't matter what it smells like it doesn't matter what it sounds like it doesn't matter what it looks like around me that I already know that because Jesus died on the cross the fight is fixed and all I have to do is show up and be willing to show up and face my difficulties and show up and face my problems and show up and face because I'm not facing it alone. I'm facing it with a Savior who's got my back, who died for the consequences of my sin. And there's nothing that I have to be afraid of in my life because Jesus already took away my greatest fear. And so, God, we thank you this morning that victory belongs to Jesus. That there is nothing, Paul said, that can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. Not heaven or hell, not angels, nor demons, not thoughts of today or worries about tomorrow. That there is nothing that is greater than the love that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. That nothing can separate us. David said it like this, where can I go from his spirit? That everywhere I am, Jesus is there. Even in the middle of my mess, he's there with me. And so, God, we thank you that victory belongs to Jesus. That means that I don't even have to fight my own battles, that the battles that are being fought are being fought on my behalf. And so, God, we thank you. We love you. We worship you. We magnify you. We exalt you. We extol you. All those are just fancy words for us to say, God, we appreciate you for fighting the battles that we couldn't fight, for winning the victories that we didn't have the strength to win, for overcoming the things that we didn't know how to overcome, for shedding the blood of your son so that it can extinguish all the consequences of our sin. God, we thank you for Jesus. God, we love you. And we appreciate you. And we play this in the mighty magnificent name of Jesus, that name that heals, the name that restores, the name that helps us recover, the name that helps us to get up off of our, get back on our feet when we made a mistake, the name that makes demons tremble. We pray in that name. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. And if you feel that, just say amen, amen, and amen. You may be seated. Well, welcome to Tri-Cities Church. As Pastor Paul said, we like to worship the Lord in here. 
And so what, one of my favorite uh, verses says in Psalms, I can't remember exactly where it is, but it says that, uh, that God literally makes his throne on top of the praises of his people. Can I just ask you a question? Have you ever wondered why heaven is heaven, other than the obvious stuff? If, if you read the book of Revelation, it says that they're sitting around the throne 24-7, saying, holy, 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 holy. And if it's true that God sits his throne on the continual praises of his people, it's no wonder why heaven is what heaven is, because you have people who are praising him 24-7, saying, holy, holy. Can I just encourage you, if you ever want God to set up his throne in your heart, just worship him. If you are new to us, and this is your first week. I'm Pastor Lamar. I'm the lead pastor here. And there's so many uh, other wonderful pastors and elders here at Tri-Cities Church. And so we just want to say, on, I want to say on behalf of them, thank you for joining us. If this is your first time with us, um, we just wanted you to do a, a favor. And for, for me personally, I'll just say it's for me. There's in front of you something called a connection card. You can fill that out and let us know a little bit about yourself. And then on your way out, if this is your first, second, maybe third time, or you never fill out the card, fill that out. And on your way out, in the back where it says next steps, you can drop that off and get a free gift from us just for us to show you that we appreciate you joining us. There are plenty of awesome places to worship in the Tri-Cities area. I'm partial. I think we're one of the best. And so I'm thankful that you chose to take time out of your busy schedule to join us. And so we have a, a free gift for you. Also, on the back of that, you can add prayer requests, even if it's not your first time. The staff and the elders, we get together and we pray over those every week in addition to the prayer team. So if this is your first time with us, you're kind of coming at the end of the movie. We are kind of finishing up a series that we entitled Family Circus. Now I can't give you all of the content that we talked about over the last couple of weeks because this is week five. Uh, so I'm gonna ask you to do this. If you have a smartphone, you can go to your app store, search Tri-Cities, T-R-E-Cities, and you can download our mobile app for free. It's absolutely free, and you can listen to all the messages. You can get a Bible reading plan on that app, and there's lots of other cool things that'll help you stay connected with the church. But I'm going to encourage you to go back and listen to those messages if you missed any of those or if it's your first time. Because we've talked about this for the last several weeks. We've been talking about family. And we start off by saying that everybody's family is a circus. I don't care who you are. I don't care how saved you are. I don't care how long your mom and them been saved and you've been grown and all this. Other stuff. All of us have issues in our family. It can be a circus. And so we started to talk about how there are certain things that we can do to acknowledge the fact that there are, there are different areas of our life that sometimes can feel like a circus. And let's be honest. We said this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, if you look in the Bible, I don't want you to feel bad about your family, because if you look in the Bible and research and read about some of the families in the Bible, can we just be honest? Most of them, okay, I'm sorry, all of them are just as messy as we are. And what's incredible is that God continues to do incredible things through broken and messy people like me and you. And so I want you to go back and listen to those messages. And then I told you last week I had a surprise for you, so I'm going to give it to you up front before we jump into the word for today. So today was supposed to be the last week of Family Circus, but what we decided to do because we had such a great response, we're going to extend it one more week, and here's what we want to do. Next week, my wife and I will be on stage, and we will answer your questions. And so here's what I want you to do. That's all right. Go ahead and clap. I like that. Here's what we're going to do. Email your questions, anything about this series that we've discussed on family, faith, 
parenting, marriage. We're not going to sit up here and tell you that we have all the answers, but we can share from our experience, from raising children, from nearly 20 years of marriage, we can share to you some of our experiences, maybe some scriptures that will help you, because there's a lot of stuff that we didn't get to cover in this series. So just email your questions from now until I'll give you till Friday or Saturday so we can look over the questions, and what we'll do is We'll categorize them and try to answer some of the same questions that fit under the same category. Just email your questions to Lamar at TriCitiesChurch.com. So can you do that if you have any questions? And we'll do that next week, just an informal Q&A. We'll try to answer some of your questions. Somebody had a question right now. As many as you want. As many as you want. Now, I'm going to tell you, we might not get through all of them. But we'll do our best. So as many questions as you have, that's a good question. As many questions as you have, you can email them to me. Uh, and then here's the second sort of surprise. Next week, we're giving a free giveaway. Uh, we're going to give away four tickets uh, to the new circus that's in town. Four tickets to Cirque. Is it Cirque do Soleil? Four tickets next week. So check this out. You got to be here to win. And bring your family, your friends. We're going to give it away. I think the, the value of that is about $200, four tickets. And so make sure that you show up next week. Bring somebody with you. We're going to give away those tickets because I don't want you to just have your family be a circus. We want to help you go enjoy a real one. Okay, so <laughs> next week you can come and win those tickets, but you have to be here to win. Bring somebody with you. All right, let's get into the word. So we've been talking about family, about all the different things. We talked about singles. We talked a little bit uh, about what it's like to have to forgive someone next week. And I put that one last week before this one because this week uh, I want to talk about, here's my subject this morning, under the tent. There's some stuff that happens under the tent. I told you I did my research when it comes to circuses, and I watched this. Actually, there's a documentary that came out a couple years ago, and it traveled around with the circus. And I don't know if you knew this, but most of the people who live a life of entertainment in the circus, they consider themselves a family. And just like your family and my family and our church family, they have a lot of drama. There's a lot of stuff, watch this, that happens under the tent that you don't get to see. And just like your family and my family, there's some stuff and some drama that they're also working through as they travel from place to place to place, trying to present and trying to perform and trying to entertain. I'm sorry, don't that sound a little bit like your family where you're trying to present and trying to perform and trying to entertain, but God knows that some of us were fighting on our way to church. Just look straight ahead. They're not going to know I'm talking about you. You're here and you're worshiping, but just five minutes ago you were arguing in the parking lot. Just look straight. See, now you dropped your head. They know I'm talking about you. Come on, now all of us have to perform and, and present and try to put on a good front. That's, that's good, that's necessary sometimes, but there's some stuff that happens under the tent. And so here's sort of this topic this morning. Um, this is why we talked about forgiveness last week, because I had to do it first, because if I did this last week, you might not have came back for this week. So, so here's what I want to deal with this morning. What, what happens when you find out something about a family member that you didn't want to know? Yeah, see, now I know I'm bowling down your lane now because all of us have those, those family secrets. All of us have those things that, that maybe we've been ignoring or maybe you knew about it or your cousin knew about it and, and somebody said something about that and maybe back in 78 or 89 you heard something about that and you really didn't want to know about it or maybe you walked in on something or maybe you got that text message or maybe you went through the phone and you saw that, come on now, parents, or maybe you opened up a drawer when your child wasn't home and you found something. Am I bowling down your lane now? All of us have some stuff that sometimes when it comes to family, there's some stuff that happens under the tent, and we've got to learn how to deal with the stuff that we didn't really want to know. 
And that's what happens a lot of times when you're talking about a circus. Can I just say this, that family functions the worst, watch this, in times of disappointment, not just disagreement. Yeah, because it's one thing when you and I don't disagree. I can, I, I've grown up enough to where I can say you have the right to be wrong. You know what I'm saying? Like, we could just disagree. Some of y'all just missed that. <laughs> we can disagree. You have every right to be wrong because you know that I'm right. And we can disagree. And I've learned how to worry about myself and to worry about my own opinion. I've learned, some of us have learned that. We can, we can disagree. But can I just tell you, family functions at its worst, not just when we disagree, it's when disappointment happens. It's bigger than me just disagreeing with you because I can, I can deal with that. After a while, we'll just come to a conclusion that we can just agree to disagree. But what happens when the issue is not disagreement, the issue is disappointment? Yeah, like I found out something that it hurt my heart to find that out about what my child was doing or what my child was saying or who they were hanging out with. It hurt my heart when I found out, watch this, children, that my parents aren't perfect. Anybody in here grew up where you thought your parent was a superhero until you found out something? Come on now, you know that you found out about Big Mama. You knew that you thought she was righteous, but you didn't know that she had two sides of her. She was righteous and she was ratchet. Come on now. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about, that there was some stuff that you found out about Big Mama, about Granddaddy, about Mom and Dad. Some of you found out some stuff about your brother, your sister, or your children, that they had some stuff going on under the tent. And it was almost like they were two people. Can I just parenthetically pause and say, thank God that Jesus died on the cross because his blood is enough to save both of me. Some of y'all just missed that. Come on now, because you know there's two of you. There's the public you and the private you. Come on now. And the public you is not the problem. The public you is everything that everybody thought that they should be. Everybody thinks you're one thing and everybody thinks you're that. And the public you is fine, but the public you is not the problem, is it? It's the private me that's the problem. So I'm thankful that the blood of Jesus is powerful enough to save both of me. You know what Paul said. He says, who can save me? You remember what Paul says, the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. And the stuff that I should be doing, I never seem to be able to get it right. Then he says, it's almost like there's two of me. Who can save me from the fact there's two of me who's struggling to get it together? And he says, who can save me from myself? Then he says, Jesus can save me. That's why I'm so glad right now that Jesus' blood is powerful enough not just to save the public me, but it's powerful enough to deal with the private me. You know the stuff that happens under the tent that nobody knows about, the stuff that you don't want to find, about, find out about. I'm so glad that Jesus died on the cross so he can save both of me. Some of y'all looking at me like you don't know there's two of you <laughs> and that's why it's difficult when I have to deal with something in the family that's bigger than just disagreement it's about disappointment let me just take you to the text because I just want to jump right down into it so that you can kind of catch up on what I'm talking about most of us I'm going to assume know the story of Noah even if you didn't grow up in church, and that's cool if you didn't, we're glad you're here. But even if you didn't grow up in church, and for those who grew up in church, everybody knows the story of Noah. And Noah was kind of this, this image that most of us can look up to, that most of us remember that Noah, he had it together. You know what I'm talking about. The Bible says that Noah was a righteous man, that God picked him to save the world, that, that Noah was a guy that God could depend on. And wouldn't it be something if God came to you and says, I got this big plan of how I'm going to save the world and start everything over, and God just depended on you enough, that God thought you were strong enough, that God thought you had enough faith, that God thought you were right. That's the God Noah was, that God, out of everybody that God can pick to pull off this plan, he went to Noah, because Noah was the man. He 
built this humongous thing called an ark, and he had to contend with something that he never even experienced. Remember, he said it's going to rain until those days. They didn't even know what rain was because it hadn't rained yet. And he picked Noah. That's why I admire Noah. I love Noah. Noah's a guy who who, who listened to God in a time where everybody was scoffing. And he said, it's going to rain. You guys need to get on this boat. And everybody laughed at him. And he built this big ark. And it took him several years. And he had to gather all the materials. And he had to pay attention to all the details. Noah sounds like one of them Christians that you admire, doesn't he? Like he pays attention to all the details. He follows God. He, he seems like he knows when he hears from God, that he hears directly from God. And he seems like somebody that you would admire. But what happens when you find out something about the person you admire that you didn't want to know? Genesis chapter 9. I'm going to read just verses 20 through 23. Check this out. That there are this, this thing going on in the life of Noah. It says, after the flood, Noah began to cultivate the ground. This is after the flood, and he planted a vineyard. And one day he drank some wine and he made he had made, and he became drunk and lay naked inside of his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw that his father was naked and went outside and told his brothers. Then Shem and Jephthah took a robe, held it over their shoulders, and backed into the tent to cover their father. As they did this, they looked the other way so they would not see him naked. Okay, I know you're following PowerPoint. I'm going to go backwards, so just hang with me. You catch what happened with Noah. Noah... The guy who we look up to, that Noah was, he was a righteous man. Come on now, God picked Noah to pull this off. And then one day, it says it was after the flood. It was probably somewhere, uh, not immediately, it was probably somewhere about 20 years after the flood, which suggests a few things. I'm going to get into it in a second. But it says that Noah, who God picked, Noah, who heard from God, Noah, who was faithful. Here's the question I want to ask you. What do you do when you find out your family member is faithful and flawed? It says his sons one day rolled up on Noah, and here's Noah under the tent. And Noah had a little bit too much sauce. And he was intoxicated to the point they had to come in and take care of him. What, what happened here? Noah, you, you, you're supposed to be the man. I thought you had it all together. You, you, you're the person who, come on now, I thought grandma was a saint. She, you didn't know that grandma had some issues. You didn't know that your dad had some issues. You didn't know that your children, come on now, some of us have had that experience where the person that we looked up to, the person that's been in our family, maybe somebody in your church family, we find out one day that they are full of faith, but they're also full of flaws. See, there's something about family secrets. See, Edwin H. Freeman, who is sort of the pioneer of what's called family systems theory, I had uh, the privilege when I was in seminary to study family systems theory. I love looking at how families interact and how all that works together, and then even how it works in a church. And, and even for those who have been married by me, you know when I do family, when I do marriage counseling, we go through something called a genogram. A genogram is a fancy family tree that makes you mark all of the issues in your family. Was there divorce? Was there a miscarriage? Was there addiction? Was there abuse? All of that goes on the family tree, and we put a big board on the wall. We look back, and I step back and say, okay, before we um, pack this. Let's look at this visually. That's the mess you're getting ready to marry into. See, some of y'all don't. Okay, can you get real? Can I be real with you? 
Because when you get with somebody, you don't just marry them. You marry all the mess that produced them. Okay, some of y'all just missed that. Edward Freeman, he talks about family systems and how all of that works together in families. Here's what he says about family secrets. He says, family secrets act as the plaque in the arteries of communication. They cause stoppage in the general flow and not just at the point of their existence. Y'all catch that? One of the things your pastor's trying to do, I'm trying to get back healthy. A couple of years ago, I had dropped a lot of weight, and then over the last couple of years, I've been dealing with some stuff, and I let the weight get back on. And one of the things I realized I had to do, because my doctor stays on me, is that uh, you got to watch your cholesterol, because you know what cholesterol does. Cholesterol causes plaque in your arteries. You know what happens when you have a blockage in your arteries? It stops the flow, and whatever blood can't flow through goes numb. Okay, some of y'all just missed that, because you're wondering why you're no longer feeling that person. Because maybe there's some secrets that we've got to deal with. Freeman says that secrets are like the plaque in the arteries of communication. There's some stuff that happens in family that when we're not willing to deal with it, when you find out about it, if we're not careful, if we go up under that tent and we find out something about someone we didn't want to know, if you're not careful in how you handle it, it can cause a blockage. Listen to what he says about secrets. He talks about family systems and family secrets. He says there's, there's four things that we got to know when it comes to family secrets. Here's number one. Secrets function to divide families like an avalanche divides a community. Come on, you know that. Maybe that's the reason why uncle such and such don't get along with, with your mom or your cousin. You, you know what I'm talking about. And maybe you don't know all of it, but you know some parts of your family. Come on now, you're thinking about it right now why there's division in your family and you can't quite figure it out. Can I just tell you, somebody knows something you don't. He says family, he says when it comes to family systems and family secrets, they divide families like an avalanche. Here's the second thing he says, secrets create unnecessary estrangements and watch this, false companionship. Come on, you know that, the, the two people or three people in your family that are real tight and you're trying to figure out why do they like each other? They don't have nothing in common there seems to be this false companionship or maybe there's some estrangement. You know that the person you haven't talked to in 10 years or the person that your mom won't talk to or your grandfather doesn't talk to, his third son. You know what I'm talking about, that sometimes there are family secrets that are blocking the communication. He says what it does is it causes estrangements, but it also causes false companionship. There are some people who are together simply because they're holding on to something that they don't want anybody to know. He says, number three, secrets distort perceptions. It's, it's this idea that when somebody has a secret or you know something or somebody doesn't know something that it causes you to start looking. Come on now, you know when you find out something, doesn't it cause you to look at somebody some kind of way? He says, secrets do that. Here's the fourth thing. He says, secrets exacerbate anxiety in areas unrelated to the actual secret. And you're wondering why I'm dealing with all kinds of trauma in this area of my life. Can I just tell you where the problem shows up is not always where it started. Okay, back to the text, because Noah's now, he, he's the man. His sons look up to him. I mean, he, he saved the entire world. He, he was part of God's biggest plan to save the world, to, to start over, to, to get this thing right. Come on, I know it was this guy that we all sort of look up to. Can I just tell you something? Even in Hebrews chapter 11, which we consider the hall of fame of faith, Noah's name pops up. But what do you do when you find out that he had faith and she had faith and they were a person of great faith, but they're also a person of great flaws? 
And it says that his sons went under the tent and found him there so drunk that he didn't even realize he was naked and they had to deal with a situation. Here's what I want to tell you. You know why that's important? Because many of us read the text and we assume that that was right after the flood. But it mentions later on, we didn't read it, that he, because of what the sons did, he cursed his grandson. But if you know the, the timeline, that grandson was only born, was born maybe 20 years after the flood, which means, watch this, that this wasn't a first-time deal. Can I just tell you this? I used to work for Kmart years ago in loss prevention, and we would catch employees stealing, and I had to bring them in my office and interview them, and they would always tell me, this is my first time doing it. You know what my response would be? You don't get caught on your first time. You get caught when you're so comfortable doing wrong that you stop covering your tracks. Okay, so maybe this is an issue that Noah has had all along that nobody in his family knew about because it was 20 years after the flood and he had gotten so comfortable in his addiction that all of a sudden he stopped covering his tracks and all of a sudden now I found out that my dad drinks too much. Noah now is this person that we've got to learn. When that's my family, what do I do, Pastor? Because... I had this image of my wife. I had this image of my child. I had this image of my parents. And now I found out that they're not perfect. That they got issues just like I have issues. And it seems to be that it's not just a one-time thing. It seems that the more, okay, just look straight ahead. If I'm talking about you, have you ever found out something about a family member and it keeps unraveling and it keeps unraveling and that's not the end of the story. And there was another time that that happened and there was another time that they said that. And there was another time that they snuck out. And they've been smoking for this long. And they've been, come on now, some of y'all just acting like you don't know what I'm talking about. It just kept unraveling. And 20 years of Noah living his life in secret finally came to light. So what do I do? Can I tell you what we most often do before we tell you what you should do? Here's what we most often do. Our most common responses to disappointment are, watch this, distance and dehumanation. Because you know what it is when you find out something about someone that you don't want to know and you don't quite know how to handle it. Maybe I'm just preaching to me. Amen. I'll preach to myself, give myself an offering. Y'all looking like you don't know what I'm talking about. Isn't one of the first things that we naturally want to do is distance ourselves? Come on now, that's why you haven't talked to them in five years. And don't get it twisted. There are some moments where distance is necessary. Okay, let's get that straight. Because there might be some stuff that I just don't need to be around. But can I just tell you that the first thing that I often want to do when I run into something that I don't want to deal with when it comes to a loved one is I want to distance myself. I can't do anything about that, so I'm done with you. Can I just tell you why that's dangerous? Because we live right now in what's called a cancel culture. The moment somebody does something wrong, we're done with them. I'm not talking to you. You're going to lose your job. Come on now. I'm not saying that you don't need to live with certain morals and ethics, but we live in a time nowadays where nobody wants to forgive. See, that's why I had to tell you last week that you got to learn how to forgive because we live in a culture that says the first time somebody does you wrong, cancel them. Because our first natural response, remember I said last week forgiveness is supernatural? Because you know what our natural response is? I'm done with you. Here's the other thing that we normally do. We dehumanize. So, so we distance or we create a physical or emotional distance 
from our family member or we dehumanize. Here's what I always used to tell parents when I was a youth pastor, young adult pastor, never romanticize or demonize your child. Can I just tell you, they are somewhere in the middle. I know you think little Johnny is perfect. Can I just tell you, little Johnny got some stuff going on under the tent. On the other hand, never demonize your family member, your child, your mother, your grandmother, whoever it is that you found out something about. Don't romanticize them and don't demonize them. They're somewhere, I promise you, they're somewhere in the middle. Just like you, there's two of them. They got some faith and they got some flaws. You see, the reason why we've got to learn how to deal with it beyond distance and dehumanization is because all that leads to is denial. And can I just tell you something? Denial doesn't work. I don't care how much you try to act like it's not happening. That's what he said last week. You got to learn how to forgive because at some point we're going to have to talk about this. At some point we've got to deal with it. Because physical or emotional distance is always temporary. Watch this. And it often causes transference. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Where because I haven't dealt with what my daddy did with, you, with me and I haven't talked to him and we haven't unpacked that and there hasn't been forgiveness and I make distance, what ends up happening is I transfer that pain onto you. And you're bleeding on people, watch this, who didn't even cut you. That's why we got to deal with it. So they had to deal with it when they walked under that tent. Can I just make this statement? You heard this before, but I want to add something to it that hurt people hurt people. Can I add something to that? Hurt people hurt people, and they hunt for ways to hurt others. Because I'm dealing with something that I haven't really dealt with. And now what ends up happening is I see what's happening under the tent, and because we want to keep it a secret in the family and we don't want to deal with it, now I get mad at anybody who makes me feel eerily similar to what my daddy did to me. We've got to deal with it. And what they had to do when they walked into that tent is they had to figure out a way to work it out. Can I make another statement that walking out can never replace working it out? It works for a while. Can I just tell you why I know? Because I found out some stuff about a family member several years ago that I had to deal with. And for five, six, seven years, didn't deal with them. And guess what happened the next time I saw that person? All the pain, all the anger, all the frustration, and a couple of things came out of my mouth, can we just be real, that wasn't holy. Okay, y'all looking at me. Didn't I tell you I'm two people? You know what happens when you don't deal with it? It comes back up. Some of us right now, can I just be honest with you, some of the fights you're having with your spouse, can I just be honest with you, has nothing to do with them. Some of the reasons, parents, why you're so hard on your kids, can I just be honest with you, has nothing to do with them. I got daddy issues. So, so we got to be careful because you, you find out that one of the boys walks in. Did you remember the story? And he walks in to see his daddy, and instead of dealing with it, he walks out. Did you catch that? And how many times did we walk into a situation and say, oh, I don't want to deal with that, and just walk right out and realize that even though you walked out, there's still something under that tent that's got to be dealt with. So walking it out, walking away will never actually fix 
the problem. And so he walks out, you heard the story, and tells the other two brothers what happened. There's a story uh, of a couple of preachers that used to hang out together, and they would do this to confess their sins and kind of just be open. And so the first guy says, man, I got something to confess. And he said, go ahead, man, this is open. We're here for you. And the first guy says, man, I just want to tell you, I've been struggling with drinking. He said, man, look, look, you're in a safe place. We're going to help you get through this. We're glad that you've been authentic with us. Second guy's okay, guy says, okay, I got to go. I, I got to struggle uh, with gambling. I, I've been spending money. My wife don't know that while we're in debt, I got this issue, this addiction that I'm dealing with. Brother, they embrace them. We're glad you're authentic. Third guy just sits there and they say, well, aren't you going to share? We just, we just told all our business. You're not going to share? Nah, I'm cool. No, 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 no. You don't get away with that. This is a space where we live authentically. We share one another. He said, no, no, no. I really don't want to do it. They said, no, no. You got to tell us because we're here for you. We're not going to judge you. He says, okay, here's my issue. I got a problem with gossiping. <laughs> and I can't wait to get out of here. <laughs> The first son walks in and finds that his father is in need of help, that he's struggling with something that the family didn't know about. And the first thing that he does is he goes and tells all his business. Okay, can I just tell you, stop putting all your family business on Facebook. I know you're mad with your sister. I know you're mad at your mama. I know she didn't show up to your party. Everybody don't need to know what's going on under the tent. Deal with it in the family. And the first thing he does is go out and say, man, you know what happened to dad? And he walked out and didn't even try to work it out. Can I just tell you this? We've got to learn how to deal with issues with dignity. Because we live in a culture now where it's cool to just put everything out there and tell everybody's business. And, but, but can you just understand that the two brothers dealt with this? They had some dignity. Can I just say this? Culturally speaking, Canaan's response, the brother who walked out, Canaan's response in not helping his father deal with this issue. Can I just tell you this? Culturally, it was worse than what Noah had done. Don't make the situation worse because you're not trying to be a solution to the problem. See, culturally, while Noah had, a, had an addiction problem, it appears that it's been going on for years and the family just found out that he's dealing with this. Culturally, Canaan was more in the wrong than the person who had the problem. Isn't it a mess when the person who's struggling is more right than the people who are supposed to be helping them, some of y'all just missed that. Because you got some people in your family right now who are struggling, and everybody in the family, all they've been doing is talking about that person. And it appears that the person, although with their issues, has more morality and more ethics than the people who should be helping them. And culturally speaking, Canaan was worse than Noah because in their culture, he was supposed to help him deal with this secret that he found out about. On the other hand, Shem and Jephthah decided to cover their father. I love that image. You, you remember what it says. It says that when they found out what happened to their dad, when they found out what he had been dealing with, they got a cloak, and then it says they walked in backwards. But why do they walk in backwards? Because we need to learn how to help people through their issues without stripping them of their dignity. It don't take all of some of what we do sometimes to berate people and put people down. Come on now, you're two people just like they are. And when you find out something that you didn't want to know, yes, we got to deal with it. Yes, we're going to have to have that hard conversation. Yes, there might need to be some consequences. But we've got to return to having compassion. 
And they learned that, you know what, we're going to have to deal with this, but we got to deal with it with some dignity. The text says they walked in backwards and they, they covered. I love that image because First Peter says this in First Peter 4 and 8. You, you know the, the scripture. It says, but most of all, Peter's given some instruction to the church on how to handle things and how to relate to one another. And he says this in verse 8 of First Peter chapter 4. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. Watch this. For love covers a multitude of sins. And when the brothers walked in, even though their father was dead wrong, they had determined we're going to deal with this with dignity. I know what grandmama did. I know what mama did. I know what your child did. But the Bible teaches us that we ought to cover one another. How do I cover them, pastor? Love them. It says they walked right in and they covered him because love covers all kinds of sin. Sometimes the stuff that gets exposed, watch this, didn't need to be exposed. You know why it got exposed? Because nobody covered them. I'm so glad that when Jesus died on the cross, his goal was not just to pay for the consequences of my sin, but there's some stuff, can I be real, that you'll never find out about that I did in my past. Because when he hung on that cross, he says, God, forgive them of their sins and cover them. Because there's some stuff, watch this, that you know that if your employer knew about you, okay, I'm preaching now. There's some stuff that you know that happened in your past if your spouse knew about it. Or God forbid, if your children knew about some of the stuff that you really did when they was your age, aren't you glad? Come on, this is a place right now where we need to have church. Aren't you glad? That one day Jesus decided to die on the cross to cover me. Because there's a whole lot of stuff. Can I be honest with you? Lamar B.C. was a mess. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm still a mess. But I thank God that some of the stuff that I did in my past is covered. That's a good place to just give God some praise and just say thank you. Can I just say this? Then we're getting ready to wrap up. It's okay to have standards. No one in that story said that what Noah did was good. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Covering doesn't mean that we don't have to have standards. What it does mean is when somebody messes up, when you find out something that you don't know, the first and best action that you can use to help that person get out of that situation is to love them. Because I already know I'm a mess. The last thing I need is for you to stand over me and to continue to confirm how much of a mess. Can I just tell you, you it's impossible for you to be harder on me than I am on myself. I don't need you telling me how bad I am. What I need is someone in my life who can reach out a hand and say, I'm not here to beat you up. I'm here to pick you up. He says, love covers a multitude of sins. It's okay to have standards. Covering sometimes, watch this, means confronting with compassion. Come on now, you can do better than that. I know you're better than that. 
Come on now, we need to get you off that stuff. Come on, how can I help you? Can we get you into a program? Come on now, I know that you're struggling in school. Do we need to get you a tutor? Come on now, I know that you're better than that. Come on now, there's something that's going on in your life. How can I help you? Can we get you some help? That's over my pay grade, but can I help you find a counselor? Can I do something to help you? That confronting means confronting with compassion, not criticalness. Come on, you're better than that. Come on now, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Come on, you are the head and not the tail. Jesus died so that you can be the righteousness of God. Speak some life over them. Tell them you are better than that. Come on now. You can get up from this situation. I know how it looks and we need to deal with this, but can I just tell you, I see something in you that's better than what you are. You are not how you are behaving. Your issues are not your identity and your burden is not your badge. You can be better than that and we're going to have to deal with this and we might have to struggle with it and we may have to have some conflict, but I'm doing this because I believe you're better than that. And sometimes you just got to confront people with enough compassion to say, you are, come on, baby, you are made in the image of God. Come on, you can get back up. What I love about that story is that they, they, they walked in and backwards to preserve his dignity. That They watched this. They, they didn't allow their face to be fixed on his flaws. See, when you're dealing with something that you didn't want to know, don't allow your face to be fixed on the flaw. Let your face be fixed on the faith that it takes to help them get out of that situation. And they walked in backwards. Can I just tell you, sometimes the reason why families keep secrets is because the moment I know that I tell you what I'm struggling with, that's all you're going to see me as. Come on now, maybe some of the ways we can break the silence in our families and let our children be able to come to us and let our spouse be able to come to us is because maybe we created a culture in our family that the moment I tell you what I'm struggling with, your face is going to be fixed on my flaws. Maybe that's even the reason why people don't even want to come in church anymore because the one time they divulge, I'm struggling with this, the church is so busy having their face fixed on their flaws that we forget that Jesus forgave us when he was on the cross. That's why the Bible says, while we were yet sinners. That means while you were doing your dirt, Jesus didn't even fix his face on your flaws. You were sinning while he was dying. And they backed in and said, you know what, we, we're not going to allow our face to be fixed on your flaws. I know you messed up. We got to have a conversation about that. We got to get this right, but I'm not going to see you for what you did. They didn't allow their face to be fixed on this flaws, and I just say this, and Friedman talks about this, beware of something in the family system called homeostasis. Big word, big word, $2 word. I went to school, so every now and then I gotta give you a word that I learned. <laughs> homeostasis is when a family system seeks by all means to protect itself. You wanna know why change is so difficult? It's because I'm about to blow your mind. There are some people who have a vested interest in seeing you or the person who's struggling do bad. Why, why, do, you, why do I say that? Because I don't know who I am when you get better. Oh, I just, I could preach a whole series on that. That's good stuff right there. And the system will seek to protect itself because as long as you're the black sheep, I'm the good son. And so I have a vested interest in seeing you do bad. It might not even be intentional, but internally, there's something that happens in a family system that the moment that somebody tries to do better, watch and see if a fight don't break out. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You got to be careful because 
Sometimes when our face gets fixed on people's flaws, we don't realize that I'm more than the person who just helps my drunk uncle. And the moment he gets better, I don't know who I am, and so I have a vested interest in him staying sick. But the brothers walked in, and they said, no, we're not going to fix our flaws on that. Okay, here's the last two things. Because I want us, here's the homework, to work on working on it. Galatians 6, chapter 1. I love what Paul says here when somebody falls. He says, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, watch this, you who are godly, that means that you, you, you kind of got to be in a space yourself. He, he says, if another believer is overcome by some sin, I love how he didn't even say what it was. He, he didn't qualify you like that, right? He didn't qualify it because some of us think that there are certain sins where we don't need to help people. Because isn't this the thing? We always judge people who don't struggle with the same stuff we struggle with. Because you sin differently, you don't need help. But Paul says, if, if another believer, if a, if a family member is overcome by some ambiguous sin, it don't matter what it is, he says, watch this, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. You know what he said? If you see somebody in your family struggling, you know what your responsibility is? Restore them. Love them. And you catch what he said? He says, gently. And then I love, he says, humbly. Because when we're dealing with people who have issues, don't we kind of get the big head? Child, you know, I don't understand why he could be doing, you know what I'm talking about. Don't, don't look at me like that. I don't understand how he could have got on that stuff. I don't understand why he got all those problems. Well, maybe that's not your issue, but you need to have some humility because there's something you're struggling with too. Remember I said, we're all two people. He says, gently and humbly help them get back on the right path. Romans 12, 17 and 18 is the last scripture. Man, you can come back up. I love this message translation. Usually I read from the New Living Translation. But here's what, what Eugene Peterson says in the message. He says, remember last week we talked about not having taken revenge? Listen to what he says. He says, don't hit back. When you find out something that you don't want to know, and maybe it's something that hurts you, he says, don't hit back. I love this part. Discover beauty in everyone. That no matter how bad that person is messed up, they are still created in the image of God. It might be tarnished. It might be compromised. There might be some stuff that we need to chip away. But he says, here's your responsibility. Discover the beauty in everyone. I don't care what your family member has done. They are still God's masterpiece. He says, discover beauty in everyone. He says, if you got it in you, Get along with everyone. Other translations say, for as much as it is up to you, be at peace with everyone. Don't insist on getting even. That's, that's not for you to do. We talked about that last week. That's why I had to set you up. It's not for you to fix what they did to you. Remember I said last week, the only person who is qualified to pay for sins is Jesus. He says, don't, don't worry about it. If what the secret you found out is, is something that did something to you, he says, God's got that. Because Jesus' blood covers not just your sins, but the sins that have been committed against you. And he says, I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. They walked in 
to a situation that they didn't want to find out, something that probably had been going on for decades. But when you find out something that's going on under that tent, lead with love. Have compassion. Don't strip them of their dignity. Because one day I might be the person laying under the tent that you find who's messed up. And here's the problem. The church, we have taught each other forgiveness, but we've not taught ourselves how to, we've taught ourselves how to be forgiven. But we haven't challenged ourselves how to be forgiving. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time. We thank you for Jesus who died. Because when he looked under the tent of this world, he saw a lot of ugly stuff. When he lifts up our hearts and peeks behind the curtain and looks under the tent, there's some ugly stuff. But God, we thank you that even though there are things that sometimes we have to encounter that we don't want to deal with, that maybe we didn't realize was happening, that maybe has been a huge disappointment in our life, that has broken our heart, maybe it's a family member or a co-worker, maybe even it's a church member that struggle with something and we find it out and we don't know how to deal with it. God, help us to first remember how you have been so loving and so merciful and so graceful and so forgiving to us. And help us, God, to have the same sort of compassion and love and mercy and grace as when you forgive us of the things that perhaps no one even knows about that we struggle with. And so, God, I pray right now for those who are under the sound of my voice who may be experiencing some difficulties or some trauma because of something that they discovered about a family member or they themselves might be the family member that someone has discovered something about, an addiction or, or an attitude problem or, or something that's going on that they've been embarrassed about. God, help us to live what we say we believe. And that is that we are to extend grace and mercy and compassion and not allow what that person did to be the same thing as who that person is. God, we thank you that you never look at what we do, but you also look at who we are in you, which is why when we stand before you on judgment day, when we are in Christ, you said that you won't see us, you'll see Jesus. God, we thank you, we love you, and we worship you. Thank you for forgiving us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're a guest with us, this is a time now where we do two things that are important to us. We, we set aside time to give, not because we can repay God, but because it's a part of our worship. It's not a wallet issue. Because honestly, God doesn't need your stuff. God owns it all. But he does ask us to give of our tithe and our offering to continue the work of the ministry to support the church. So if this is not home for you, don't feel pressured in any way. But if this is home, we want you to continue to give generously because that's what God asks us to do. Second thing that we do during this time is we take communion to celebrate what was given to us when Jesus died on the cross. We talked about this morning. There is so much forgiveness and mercy and grace in what Jesus did. And this is our time to celebrate that. Again, if this is not home for you, don't feel pressure to take part in this service. But this is what we do because it's important to us to remind ourselves weekly of how God forgave us of our sins. The prayer team is available and ready if you need prayer. Just remember this is a safe space. So if you need to be prayed for, they're here to pray for you. You can come now and observe communion. <laughs>